0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam, the man with all the brain teaser soccer questions. Griswold, that's a long middle name you got, Sam. Today on OTB, we talk to the broadcaster John Champion. This guy has been in the business a long, long time. He's a consummate professional, and I think it's a really good sign for soccer broadcasting uh, domestically here in this country, as he is now the lead broadcaster for ESPN's MLS coverage. Uh, it'll be the first time we get a chance to talk to the, uh, to talk to John here, uh, for the guys, to get a, uh, some questions in with him. It'll be great to get his thoughts on, on world football, of course, but more importantly, what he thinks uh, and what he has seen so far with MLS coverage uh, and the play and what he thinks of its future. So, guys, uh, a lot to talk about today on the show. Uh, We got a Weston McKinney update, messy news, obviously, Champions League, Europa wrap-up. But before we get to that, gents, uh, what are we over today on Over the Ball? Grail?
1: Yeah, I'm over when new managers, and in this instance, Ronald Coleman, comes into a new job and immediately lays down the law without – taking any time to survey the landscape and specifically he came into the Barcelona job, which is obviously it's a very thorny situation and immediately said to Luis Suarez, your services will no longer be required. And I think he forgot that Luis Suarez is uh, Leo Messi's best friend on the team. Now you don't keep a guy because he's the best friend, but you also maybe just come in and survey things a little bit. Right. And again, I just, I just thought the approach was was really ill-advised so that's that's what I'm all I I, I think that I think the
0: situation worse I think that type of approach is also outdated where we've talked about this before on OTB where uh, the players have more control and more of a say in what happens now than just a coach and I think guys like Mourinho have had a problem with with that you cannot control these players uh, like you have you know classically in the past so um, it reminds me of a mutual friend of ours uh, Grail he was he uh, had, uh, was on his final interview for a job, and he was with all the big execs, and he was about to get hired, and uh, he told them all the things they were doing wrong, <laughs> and I'm like, and how he was going to fix it. And I was like, geez, how did that go? He goes, yeah, they never called me back. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> interesting how that works. Yeah. Like, people are told what they're doing wrong. So, so Cuman, I think that's how you say his last name, right, Ronald Cuman? Coleman, Coleman. Koeman, K-O-
1: I think it's K O. Someone says like the spice. I, no, I think it's I think it's Koeman, Ronald Coleman.
0: Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Yeah. All Dutch, right. a, mm.
1: a, a, a Dutchman, and by the way, he was a really good player in his own right for Barca. And has had, oh yeah, has had some decent success in managing. But again, you know to come into that situation and say not, not overwhelming
0: not overwhelming success for
2: sure
1: no, no.
0: Um, so it's uh, it's very interesting so all right uh, sam what are you over
2: yeah uh, this week i'm over these sweeping judgments that are being passed whether in the media or on twitter or whatever um, about this season uh, and how things ended up especially in the champions league just because I mean, this year was just so crazy. You know, I think everyone's coming out saying, oh, the French League is amazing because, you know, Lyon and PSG got to the semifinals and the Premier League is awful because no one got to the semifinals. I mean, I don't know. I just think these judgments should be saved um, considering how crazy everything was, how up in the air everything was. Um, You know, again, it's something like Saudi leaving Juventus, I can understand because that's based on a season of work, right? But uh, I think people are just getting a little too carried away. Uh, specifically, I'm really over people you know, claiming PSG finally made it, whatever that means, by getting to this Champions League final. You guys can back me up on this. I sent you a text the morning of the Champions League final. Yeah. Uh, they got to the final by beating Atalanta and Leipzig, two teams in third place in their respective leagues, without their best players. Yeah. And that
1: was a great achievement. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't need to hear well, it And think of the investment, Sam, that PSG has made yeah, in absolutely. that team. So, to yeah, me, anything short of winning a Champions League is really unacceptable. It
2: reminds me a little bit of England at the World Cup. I mean, yeah, they had a good run, but they didn't play anybody, you know, that Hey, challenge. hey, 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 come on.
1: <laughs> ah, you're Irish, Grail. Huh? I'm not Irish. No, I'm not. No, I'm not.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you look like a leprechaun, so that's why I thought you were <laughs> Um I tell you, I, guys, what I'm over I'm over people just telling athletes to shut up and play. I mean, like they're robots. And I love the fact that some of the some players, uh, even some college recruits, are now looking at universities, uh, how they're aligned politically, their coaches, their assistant coaches, their staff, what they feel, how they, um, you know, have expressed themselves about social justice whether on facebook or twitter and and you know look you know 80% of certain you know teams are black athletes and these guys make a lot of money for these schools and to just say shut up and play forget it man um so i'm kind of like that you, you uh read some stories and it's also you know um you know it's like you can't not take a side, but when, and I've talked about this before in the show, like but when a, when a wealthy person wants to get a stadium and wants to get the the city or the state to pay for it, boy, suddenly politics become a big part of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of sports, aren't they? So, and I'll say with politics, it's like, this isn't Red Sox, Yankees. It's not like rooting for your favorite team. Uh, you know, you grow up as a kid rooting for a team and you stick with them through thick and thin through, uh, you know, your whole life. What it really should be is is uh if you're talking about political parties just what aligns with your values at a certain time, not a label so uh no. yeah and
1: by the way this is a this is a message of unity, so i mean for anybody to be griping about this and and it's been a problem that's just going on for way too long, and you know you're talking about mobilizing people and bringing people together so i don't I don't know what the the uh the issue is, Frank. Look, we've talked about this this a yeah. long
0: time on this show. One of the things that I was always, it's my pet peeve, was when something racist happens on a field, all the players are should be mortified and offended, and they walk. Mm-hmm. 20, 22 of them, right? And it seems like we're more along those lines now, where everybody's, uh, you know, it, we're they're truly being teammates, and they're being citizens, global citizens. So, uh, you know, we talked last week about MLS, uh, the game in Dallas. Some of the players took a knee, and they got booed. And I said, this is only a reflection of the fact that they're the first sort of sports team to have some fans in front of them. Well, here we are, you know, uh, a week later, all the teams started to boycott. Seems like it started in the NBA. The players uh, led by LeBron James have said, hey, enough's enough. Um, he used uh, an expletive, and then, you know, uh, and it's true. Um, so all these other sports teams have now followed suit, including MLS. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I well, think
2: specifically it started with the Milwaukee Bucks refusing to yes. take the court for their game. And then the NBA followed suit as a whole after that. And um, and then, yeah, five of the six MLS games Wednesday night uh, were postponed uh, in the wake of the shooting of Jacob Blake and the protests. Um, no word yet on. I know there's a game on Friday night, and there's a full slate of games on Saturday. So uh, remains to be seen. And How the Brewers, is.
1: the Brewers baseball game canceled. The Dodgers baseball game yeah. canceled. But well, actually, I should say postponed. I, I, yeah. I don't think they've been. I think they want to reschedule them. But again, yeah, the unity across all the leagues, and and especially at the top, Sam. That's what I really find. Different this time is you've got the commissioners of the leagues and the owners of the teams saying we are 100 percent behind the players. The, the, The contradictory opinion here is going to lose out because the numbers for for accepting this are moving in a totally different direction. Right. So you you're, you're gonna be on the wrong side of history if you keep talking about law and order and all this other nonsense.
0: Yeah You know one player um, to sort of shift things here a little bit, one player who was on the forefront of some of this uh, was Weston McKinney. and it looks like he might be going to your beloved Syria. A, Sam, huh? Well, my beloved Syria maybe,
2: but certainly not my beloved Juventus. Uh, <laughs> this, this kind of came out of nowhere, I got to be honest. Because yeah, a week ago we were talking about him being on the way to Southampton. And now it looks like he's going to be joining Juventus for uh, a year loan with an option to buy uh, at the end. Uh, I mean, I have a few different thoughts on this. You know, Juve's midfield was kind of a disaster last season, was sort of the universal weak point. So they definitely need some reinforcements in there. Um, My worry when anyone moves to a team like this, especially a young player, McKinney's 22 years old now, is, you know, how much he's really going to get to play. Uh, I think when you're about to go to Southampton and then all of a sudden you're going to events, I, I don't know. There's, there's a certain red flag there. I think Southampton made sense in terms of a stepping stone for his career. This seems like the big crowning move. And, uh, you know, I just hope it's not happening too early for him. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. I'm a big fan. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just, at these big clubs, it's very easy to get lost in the shuffle. But, who,
1: but Sam, who would have known six months ago what happened to Alphonso Davies? True. Nobody would nobody would have predicted that either. And that's just Mm -hmm. been incredible. Mm -hmm. He just yeah,
0: he's just burst down the scene. I mean, pretty pretty amazing to even be noticed at Bayern, never mind being a dominant player like that. But Juventus, did they need that type of player, sort of a holding midfielder like McKenna like Um. Weston? Well,
2: they, they they lost Pjanic with the player swap to get Arthur from Barcelona. So, I, I mean, they kind of see him as playing in that role. Um, they also have Rodrigo Bentancur, the Uruguayan player, who did have a good season. He's kind of the only one in that midfield who played pretty well. So it's not that they don't have guys. It's just that they haven't really maybe lived up to the hype. Um, mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I mean, I I certainly think he can play there. Um I just again hope he hope he gets the shot and gets the look he deserves.
0: These, these last minute switches, it's unbelievable. You know, some of these these articles, you hear players are going here, they're going there, and then it just never materializes. Like ninety five percent of the time, a couple of things have materialized. Uh, Thiago Silva <laughs> thought he was going to Liverpool. Now he's going to your beloved Chelsea Grail.
1: Yeah, well, they um, it, it, I, it was pretty amazing that PSG decided to let him. To let yeah. him go. Apparently, Thomas Tuchel, the coach, wanted to keep him, but the you know the sporting director, whoever else makes that decision, said no. He's he's too old. So, you know, he is. I think he's 34 or 35. So he's not a young guy. But you know, in Chelsea's case, they just need a guy to run the central back. You know, and if they can, if he can do that for two years, he's a good. Which is what the contract is. He's a good signing because they don't have that voice in the middle in the back and he he played really well in that final by the way yeah the, yeah. He he really, yes, he yeah he held I, them together yes he did
0: he held them together i think the central defenders are where i have thought that chelsea was their weakest besides you as no their doubt. fan yeah yeah i think it was tiago alcantara though that yeah. liverpool were interested in i don't think
2: that's liverpool right wanted he, thiago no Sarri
1: no right. it's the it's the other thiago
0: yeah oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that's right i get my, get my thiago's confused
1: here yeah um, and,
0: and all the 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 trade talk about Messi, huh? This is this is earth shattering. This is you know big news, and every, all the rumors seem to be Man City. What do you think? Well,
1: I yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because this does come up like cyclically for Messi with Barca, right? This has happened in the past. This time seems different though, because again, as we were talking about Ronald Coleman, that made it worse for Barca. Then Barca's president, I think yesterday, came out and said Barca's bigger than Lionel Messi, which I'm like, do you want to lose Messi? Because that's, that's, that's a good not way to do gift. it. And, and and yeah, and I just think everything, Suarez being kind of kicked to the curb, all of it, and that uh, but I you know, who knows if City can make it work financially. I mean it's you know, it's it's a massive nut. To take yeah. on Messi, and you yeah, but to Messi, be like, Messi
0: says he has an escape an escape clause. Well, there. that's that's the sort of
2: that's the legal battle that's now going to yeah. play out. I mean, he does have this clause in his contract that he can leave for free basically whenever he wants. But the rule is he has to submit that before the end of the season. And now the argument is well, you know, the end of the season was supposed to be in May, and now yeah, it's, I think know, it was he, August.
1: So yeah, I think it was supposed to be June tenth or something, Sam. But then his his argument, which I think is valid, is that. The season got pushed back so long; it didn't really start again till May. Yeah. That that June tenth date became kind of null and void. Yeah, um, I'll I'll believe this all, you know, when I see yeah, it. I mean, I'm not exactly. saying it won't
2: happen. I just think this could be, you know, a move just to try to get Bartomeu out as president. Yeah, and,
1: you know, really shake things up. Clearly, Barca need a revolution.
2: So uh,
1: I don't know. But I mean, I'd like him to stay, Sam. I'd like him to finish his career at Barca to be honest. as a soccer fan. I love the idea of him playing his whole career there. Yeah, but they've they've been in turmoil the last couple of years. Oh, my like, God. Problem. So I think after a while, you get sick of it, and you're
0: like, hey, I just want to play ball and have a good team and be supported. You know, same yeah. like, you know, and wouldn't he love to you
1: see with De Bruyne? And- well, he'd have a great surrounding cast, and and Aguero's his best friend in life, you know, who's, you know, so that would be, and Pep. So it's all, it's all very comfortable at City, I think, for him, but it's, you know, it's very disruptive, too, for his family and his kids and all that.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, but big, man, we all most. we all move
1: around. These guys, he's uh, – yeah. I mean, I
0: don't think that will be it. I think classically you'd love to see him just play his entire career for Barcelona, but they have to hold up their end of the bargain. It doesn't seem like they are right now, and there's been a lot of egos over there, a lot of missteps. So uh, you, I, I'm surprised this didn't happen last year, to tell you the truth. So, um, all right, let's move on to uh, some of the leagues, the Champions League final. Um It was nice to watch Alphonso Davis. He got caught out of position a couple of times. He had his hands full, but, uh, you know, played pretty well. I think Bayern probably – would you say they're better than Liverpool?
1: Best team in the league? Uh, You know, they they live by the sword and they die by the sword with that high line. And that's what I love about them. But, you know, I I do think right now if they went head-to-head, I think that Bayern would win. I I do think that Liverpool's back four is infinitely better than Bayern's. And uh, and Bayern kind of gets away with it, but you know, early in that match, guys, PSG had several good chances right. to score, yeah, and true. they didn't take. And Neuer came up huge. Uh, he had a twice. I mean, yes, a great. He great yeah, he had a, he had a great game. I mean, he's back in form. But uh, yeah, I just um, I just I just like like the way they play as a team. They have a really you know they have a great blend of youth and experience. And, yeah. Uh, I, yeah.
2: I, I was a little let down by the final, to be honest. I mean, I think Byron were a very deserving winner and clearly the best team in Europe. Um, you know, the fact it was a one nothing game after all the crazy games we saw in the buildup, mm-hmm. I, you know, would have hoped for a little more. But you yeah, understand there's nerves and there's tension and everything. Um, I thought Davies had a really... I mean, I watch him closer than anybody, probably just because of his MLS past and interest. But um, I thought he had a really, really good game. He wasn't maybe as involved in the attacks as he usually is, but I thought... He just, you know, he does get caught out of position an awful lot. But I felt like this game, he was really well positioned tactically. I thought he had a really good game, really mature game.
1: Well, uh, you, so,
0: you start yeah. to realize he's a defender, so you got yeah. to defend at times, you know. And, and people forget that sometimes. You talk about how he goes forward, and so he did I think make he, that
1: great tracking run in like the ninety-third minute. He tracked a guy like sixty yards on a fast break and ended up. Um, just making sure the ball didn't get to him it was right at the end of the match and they actually they made note of it but uh, again like you always say plenty speed makes up for a lot of things and uh, and again their back four you know compared to liverpool's back four is just is weak because they're they don't play a lot of defense right. they play a lot of offense they go up 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 and um and they leave themselves exposed a lot. So uh, what did you think? If it Le- had been better, they you know they probably could have scored.
0: Well, the PSG, as you said with Neuer, he made a couple of nice saves. It would have been a very different, different game. I mean, some of those should have gone in. Two of them, I think, uh, he made tremendous saves. So um, and and I was you know I don't know how impressed you were with Lewandowski in that particular game, but I think he's, he's the clear Ballon d'Or winner, and I think he's getting ripped off that he that he does not receive that this year. I mean, he does everything as you know he. he he holds up play. He, he gets, yeah. uh, you know, things in the air, he creates things on the ground. I
1: mean, it's just, uh, it's and you got to watch him, you know, that that's the thing is, even if he doesn't have a great match, he's pulling defenders with him and freeing up other guys. So, um, I thought, uh, you know, he had one shot to hit the post. He was, but again, they had other guys that just stepped up, right? The guy Coleman, the guy who scored the winning header, yeah. ironically, ex-PSG product who was one of their highly touted youth players and they let get away and then he comes, comes back to haunt them.
0: We watched him play for the uh, under-20s when the U.S. was playing them and he was magic then. I remember, uh, you, know, you know, watching them and enjoying And Byron, man, they end up with an impressive 43 goals uh, across the tourney. Um Lewandowski with 15. So, uh, and PSG as a team finished with only 25. So, uh, I think, you know, his best man win, Sam, like you said.
2: I think yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just the way the game went was an indication of Bayern's superiority. I mean, it was very clear from the outset, you know, we're, you know, Bayern's going to attack, have more of the ball, PSG's going to sit back and look to counter and pretty much concede that they're not going to beat them in the midfield. Um, right. So, I mean, yes, they had their chances, but I think there was a clear concession on PSG's part
0: that, um, you know, Byron is the superior team. I don't even think the ball went through the midfield, PSG's midfield at all. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, I, I also feel like just like PSG is a lot of good players, but not really a team. Mm. And I just think of Byron as just – they feel like a team. You know, they just – all the parts seem to fit together. They have a really good strategy for how they play. And, um, you know, you don't have to have all of them firing on all of cylinders for the system. <laughs> we know we, we know how much system. we love that word. Uh, the system works, but the system does work in spite of that. Whereas with PSG, if Neymar's not finishing or Mbappe has a bad game or whatever, I just think it tends to fall apart.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's the big question, guys. Best, uh, best well, I think, Sam, you already tipped your hand, but best team in Europe. Is it Liverpool or is it Bayern? No, oh, it's obviously Bayern. Uh, is
2: it obvious,
1: really, Sam? Not to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really? with you, Sam. Look, I mean, I think they finished the season 28-0-1. I think those were their final 29 games. Right now, I think they're the best team. I, I, they're, again, I think Liverpool's back four is infinitely better, but it's all about putting up the results. And, um, yeah, I, I would like, you know, in a head-to-head, I would give them, like, a 2-1 a win margin. Right now, right.
0: Hey, so, Sam, you pointed out an interesting article by Rory Smith in The Times about, I mean, about how uh, European leagues finishing their seasons in many ways is the easy part when you consider facing a whole season with similar restrictions.
2: Yeah, I feel like, you know, we're all kind of coming around to this reality now that we got through this season. You know, it worked for the most part somehow. And now, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, we have to start playing again in a month. And you know yeah. now is such a tough time because these guys' routines were so highly regulated during all this, and now they're going on vacation. They're you know in other countries, mixing with other people, and you know already some positives have come back. I mean, I think Pogba was positive today for the virus. Um, several Italian players have tested mm-hmm. positive. Serie A players. Uh, so yeah, I think in many ways the real work you know starts now and try to find a way forward.
0: And I guess they have Harry Kane is quarantined for two weeks because he went to, uh, I think, the Caribbean. Uh,
1: Yeah. It it, it is strange, guys, isn't it, that, you know, again, in this time warp we've been in with COVID, that, you know, that League One is starting, like, this week in France and then the Premier Mm -hmm. League starting on the 12th. I mean, it just doesn't – it doesn't seem real that we've got – you know, we've put all this energy as fans into watching all this and there's, like, no break, and now we're going to be back to actual league play very soon.
2: Yeah. Right, right. Pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. before, so, before we move on, I just want to point out the uh, – we should talk for a second about the uh, Europa League. Um, yeah. Sevilla won for the sixth time, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, also in this game, Lukaku did score again. It was 3-2 in the end for Sevilla. Lukaku scored um, to give into the lead at 1-0. That's a record 11 straight Europa League matches he scored in. Uh, he also equaled the record set by Ronaldo back in 97, 98 for 34 goals um, in his first season for Inter. So,
0: and he scored one for the other team too. So <laughs> yeah. he's, he's on he's yeah. on fire.
1: Yeah, yeah. Having having a forward having a forward in the box in the box around the goal when a uh, when like a bicycle kicks. I mean, it's never a great thing because he just. You know, you always tease people, don't just stab at a ball if you're right around the goal mouth. Like, you know. Dude, he's a
0: striker, man. He's a striker. He's happy means, he's even the over the halfway
1: was, line the the ball was The ball was going wide, and he roofed it into the net.
0: You, yeah. whenever you whenever you do have a striker, your leading goal scorer back there in in your own defensive uh, box, you, you gotta treat him with like oven bits, like uh don't oh, like, do it guys, hey, hey, the goal's that way. Relax. Yeah. The combination was-
1: of his reaction, Sam, and the uh keeper's reaction simultaneously was just Priceless.
2: Yeah, it was a tough way to lose, but I have to say, watching yeah. the game, I think Sevilla were deserved. Uh, you know, won this deservedly, and they were more, you know, more sort of adventurous and daring, while Inter were sitting back a little more, and mm-hmm. I think they deserved to win.
0: I'm happy for Lukaku, but, you know, not not for the own goal, of course, but he played well in Syria, and I think he struggled yeah. a little bit at Manchester United, and um, you know, with some coaches that did not see eye to eye with him. Um, and he always seemed like a good team player, and he never lacked effort. So I'm, I'm glad to see um, that, that he's, he's sort of found a place where, where he can play. Grill, I wanted to ask you about television ratings. Uh, yeah. We have a bunch of you know, info, of the Univision, CBS Sports with their coverage, uh, and MLS. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: so, so for the final, Univision's ratings were up 41% versus last year. Um, wow. it's it was the fourth fourth most viewed final ever regardless of language um, and i and and i think it's just testimony to the idea that it's you know the battle of two super clubs with with really high visibility stars you know between mbappe neymar uh, lewandowski you know muller neuer whoever else right. he, davis whatever yeah i mean i did, it just drives ratings and it's why uh, i you know like it or not it's why the powers that be at the Champions League love when the big teams get through the final because they know that it's going to drive a big rating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. I, I haven't seen the CBS Sports Network's rating, so I don't know yet. But uh, I, I will say that I, I thought their coverage was good. You know, they had uh,
3: Roberto Martinez,
1: Roberto Martinez, Jamie Carragher. Uh, they had um, Peter Schmeichel Michael. on location. Um yeah, I mean, it was a little, I, I don't know that I needed as many, they had like six people. It seemed a little bit overkill, but it was good. I thought it was good overall. And Kate Abdo was a much more kind of professional Kate Abdo than she well, was yeah. on the Turner Sports thing.
0: Yeah, well I think she was uh, wrangling cats with the Turner Sports thing, so. Yeah. Uh, but I would have liked to have seen a, a, at least one American voice represented in there somewhere. But, uh, the, you know, we'll talk to John Champion about that. Sam, yeah. what'd you think of the coverage?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a million times better than uh, TNT. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not the best person to ask because I don't even listen to much of the coverage anyway. But, um, you know, I thought it was a lot better.
0: Hey, um, Grail, MLS is back. The numbers are not good. With I mean, so here you yeah. got 41 percent increase in Champions League viewership and Univision, and yet MLS it can't translate
1: into any domestic soccer numbers for us. Well, I just you know we talked we talked so much when all this stuff was going on with the bubble that just the media coverage was as if MLS wasn't even in the bubble. Uh, they all they all people talked about was the countdown to the NBA coming to the bubble. And they ignored the fact that MLS was already in in the the bubble. bubble, Yeah. yeah. So I just think it's kind of a lack of exposure. Um, Some people who are marginal MLS fans may not have even known it was back. Um, You know, the Bundesliga, you know, all those leagues, when they came back, were doing great ratings because ratings because, of course, they were the only league in town for a while. I mean, the Bundesliga, people were just starving for that. And uh, again, I just, uh, unfortunately, I think it still kind of shows the pecking order of where MLS is versus all the other sports they're competing with here. That's the other thing is, Just the landscape here is so much more crowded than it is over in Europe. Yeah, but you know, it also is, uh, you
0: know, when I was involved with some of the coverage, I used to ask them to cover the personalities of the people playing. Because if you're watching a game, like we're watching the Premier League, we pretty much know who all 22 players are out there. And it it helps drive the story, you know, that you're watching. And I think people know the national team sometimes, not right now, uh, when we're watching them, but some of the teams, we don't know anything about the players and what their journey was and where they are. It's just not. there's not enough. They cover the game, but they don't always cover all the other intricacies that are going on with the game. You don't see ESPN showing a couple of um, sort of soccer coverage, sports talk shows during the day. It just doesn't happen. It's always baseball, football, hockey. So that's how you kind of start to become interested in players and teams and and uh, you know the coverage, so I, th- I think that's where they they haven't done a great job. And I look, it, oh, as you always say, Grail, follow the money, and I don't think the money is there. Maybe so I'll maybe just you know
1: I'll I'll be interested. I mean, the good news, as we said, is that, that they completed MLS's back without much incident, except at the beginning. And I'll be interested to see where how MLS MLS's ratings track throughout the rest of the season. Right. That's really maybe they can build on it a little bit. Maybe you know, now that people are conscious of them being back on a regular schedule, as opposed to that, you know, remember too, they were playing at nine in the morning, afternoon and evening, I think Well, didn't they have like three, th- th- that morning match couldn't have driven a rating
0: period. Right.
1: right so, right. so anyway, yeah. I, well, I, they, but, but,
0: you know, destination coverage, which is, they talked yeah. about earlier, like you wanted to watch it Saturday mornings, like we do, uh, you know, the premier league. So, all right. Yeah. Well, speaking of the premier league and English people and, uh, and England, we, uh, Let's, uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back with John Champion. John, uh, boy, guys, we all got his, uh, his bio resume. We always sort of do a little Google check on some of the people. And then this guy has been around the block, a true, uh, a true champion, if you can say, in the broadcasting industry. So uh, you're listening to Open Ball. We'll be back with John Champion, the new lead broadcaster for ESPN, right after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball is a man who has been covering this game, this game we love for over 36 years, and he has uh, broadcast every single World Cup and UEFA championship since 1990. He's covered three Olympics and is currently the lead commentator for the EPL Global Output and is now taken over as lead broadcaster for ESPN's MLS coverage. We are very happy to have this man here today, John Champion. Welcome to Over the Ball. Great to be with you. I tell you, you know, reading your bio and your resume, I, uh, it was like war and peace. You have been through it all is in the soccer world and uh, 36 years in the broadcasting business. And uh, your bio says you're only 38. So that's, uh, that's
3: <laughs> I mean, I was, I was 19 when I first started. So, yeah, that was pretty early. I'd just, just come out of school and, and fell into broadcasting. Really. There was no rhyme or reason. There was no master plan to become a, a sports broadcaster or even a sports journalist. But it fell into my lap and I, I took it with both hands and, and ran with it, and I'm still with it, or at least limping along with it 36 years later. So, yeah, uh, having started so early, I hope, you know, if you look at people that do my job um, that are sort of one generation uh, beyond me, uh, people like Martin Tyler, for example, still active, he's 20 years older than I am. So, I, I hope that I've got plenty of time yet to enjoy what is a, an extraordinary job. Well,
0: you know, it's interesting. We're going to get to your sort of how you got into the broadcasting because at 19 years old most of us over here domestically were going to keg parties and just uh you actually had a focus there but I think as an English broadcaster and growing up in England it's it's almost in your DNA I mean all the games you must have watched by all those greats who came before you it's just it's sort of in there um so I'm surprised to hear that you weren't like moving towards a broadcasting career your entire life but at 19 uh you probably opened up your mouth and all those experts that came before you just sort of came out.
3: Yeah, maybe. I mean, my, my story is one of just being in the right place at the right time. It's sheer luck. So briefly, the synopsis is I played in a cricket match one day. It was the only sport I could play with any sort of level of ability. And, uh, and I got a few runs and I retired to the bar afterwards. <laughs> and uh, after a couple of beers, the phone rang and it, it was pre cell phones. There was a payphone in the corner of the clubhouse. And uh, it was the local radio station, BBC station, which had just set up, wanting to interview me about my innings that day and my contribution to the game. So, wow. fortified by a couple of pints of, of Yorkshire bitter, I went <laughs> and answered these questions. Um, didn't give it a second th- thought, went back to the bar, had a few more drinks, and then eventually staggered home at the end of the night. So no one was more surprised than me when a couple of weeks later, phone call at home from the sports editor of this newly BBC local radio station, explaining that they were trying to set up a sports department to cover football as in soccer uh, and and rugby that winter they didn't have anyone in place there was no money in it but they'd been struck by my fluidity and fluency and confidence on air well you bet that i was confident and fluent after a few pints of beer absolutely Um, well well (laughs) well lubricated well lubricated fancy trying it out. So I thought, well, I've got nothing better to do. i just left school, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Academically, I was pretty useless. I'd come out with dreadful exam results, good enough to go to university at that stage. So I'd resolved I was going to have a year just to sort myself out. I was going to go traveling. So it was six months traveling, preceded by six months working to get enough money to go traveling. That was the plan. Right. So this came right in the middle of a, a, a pretty um, uh, indecisive time in life and it was manner from heaven so off the back of this I started doing a bit of reporting at weekends on football and rugby and then six weeks down the line there was another fall in the manager of the local radio station saying uh, are you enjoying yourself I said yeah it's great fun it seems really easy and he said when well, you make it sound that way and we, we love your voice you we think you're a broadcaster we are interested in making something of this we think you've got what it takes um, but if you want to come and work for the BBC you have to be a graduate So you need to understand that. So if you can get yourself on a degree course anywhere, it doesn't matter what it is, what the subject is, what level it is, other than that you're going away for three years, maturing a bit, um, having some sort of academic rigor and discipline to your life, um, we will give you work to do at weekends. uh, And we will pay you a small amount of money, which will supplement your student grant as long as you train on. We'll give you a job at the end of it all. And that's what happened. So I got myself at six days notice onto a degree course at a Catholic teacher training college in the fine city of Leeds in the north of England. Uh, it was uh, a forerunner of what would now be a media degree, a happy title, Communication and Cultural Studies with Public Media, which in the real world, it's of sociology, elements of psychology, and practical media experience as well, learning how to edit a tape, things as that. So right. I did that and the BBC gave me jobs on weekends and it went really well. I mean, i surprised myself. I had no idea that it was going to go as well as this. So in the end, I was fending off job offers halfway through my degree course because I resolved that I, I ought to have that qualification behind me just in case it, things didn't go right further down the track. And then done all of that, six weeks before my finals, there was a phone call at home one day and I picked the phone up and uh, it was this very prim and proper lady from the BBC's headquarters at Broadcasting House in in central London. And the conversation went something like this. (laughs) Oh, I said, hello. Who am I speaking to? Um, It's Miss Jackson. Miss Jackson from the personnel department at the British Broadcasting Corporation, Orton Place, London, W1. And I said, Miss Jackson, it's very nice to be talking to you, but to what do I owe the pleasure? And she said, "Um, it's about the job. And I said, the job and she said yes the job and so i said you're gonna have to enlighten me here because i'm not quite sure what you're referring to it was a job the job has nobody spoken to you i said well no nobody has spoken to me so you're gonna to have to enlighten me further she said well we have a job for a sports reporter uh, somewhere in the north country i believe i i think in leeds uh we think you'd be perfectly suited and so we booked you in for an interview it's on Friday, the questions that the interview panel will be asking you. And these are the answers we would like you to produce. Don't forget okay. to wear a tie, three o'clock Friday. So I took knowing that I was going to get the job, as long as I didn't mess up the interview. So I just parroted these answers that I'd been given in front of this very austere interview panel, which no one was below the age of 65 and all the right. them were wearing very stuffy shirts and ties. And I got the job and they kept it open for six weeks. And as soon as I finished my university finals, armed with my new degree, I entered the world of work. And I was 22 at that stage, my first day as a staff member with the BBC. So I'll be very lucky. John Champion, well,
1: we got the the story there. Um, uh,
3: Grayley had a question for John.
1: Yeah, John, thanks for joining us. By the way, that was a very good impersonation of uh, Mrs. Cutout from the Monty Python (laughs) (laughs) days, which you you might remember. since you're a proud Yorkshireman and a graduate of the University of Leeds, I'm just curious what you think about uh, Leeds, the fabled club returning to the uh, Premier
3: League. Um, I'm delighted they're back. I mean, I can't show favour to any particular team. I've, I've spent 36 years not showing favour towards anyone because I think you have to be right down the middle. But I do think the Premier League will be a better place with Leeds United in it just because of that fan base. You know, 16 years since they were last there. Uh, and it is the most guttural, uplifting place, intimidating place, Elland Road, when it's in full voice. And obviously, in current circumstances, it's going to be a while before we see that side of things. But I just think as well, on a football level, any team managed by fellow Bielsa, and with the profile that Leeds United have, three times league champions, uh, last team to win the football league before the Premier League took over, I just think they're going to be a great addition, because Bielsa is going to make it a fascinating ride for players and and that team and isn't it great that they start off against the champions Liverpool oh yeah i can't wait to see them back
0: uh, you know grail always goes right over to england he spent a couple of years there and, and you know john no matter what we talk about here on the show it always leads to chelsea generally so it was nice that he, he actually well, brought
1: up brought up Leeds john, john knows how i feel about leeds because as a chelsea supporter there was no team that was more hated than leeds united back in the early 70s those rivalries were just incredible
3: all right, but were, let's, and, and I should say on that, I mean, you're quite right, Leeds were probably the most hated team that I can remember at any particular stage in my football watching history, just because they were the ultra pragmatists under Don Revie.
0: All right, we'll be back on Good Morning Leeds right after this. No, so let's, let's ask you this. Let's bring it home here, uh, John. We're very excited that you're, um, you're the lead broadcaster on MLS coverage. I think it's definitely ESPN kicking up its game a little bit, really taking this game seriously. I, you know, I used to work, you know, on cruise ships sometimes as a comedian, and I would turn on ESPN International, and I'd be like, they know how to cover the game internationally. Didn't always happen domestically so i think you coming aboard is is a really is a really great sign um so here you are now you're in the united states you're moving your family here uh, there's there's a lot of turmoil in the country and not to get too political but but look what's happening in the country right now mls players um they got booed last week in in dallas for taking a knee um and i think we talked about it last week on the show they were really the first ones out of the gate. So it's the first time there were some fans there. Every sport's going to get booed because these players are going to take a knee in every sport. Uh, but what do you think of the current movement now uh, with the NBA and MLS following? Um, you know, they they say politics and sports shouldn't mix, but this is a reality, I'm afraid.
3: Yeah. Well, something has to change, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. In terms of the way that, that black people are forced to live their lives in this country, by and large, particularly when uh, tangled with the, the, the forces of law and order. It's not something that I can properly get my head around because I watch the TV news, just as I did when I was back in Europe. And I used to see these stories of black people being shot by police and think, well, that shouldn't be happening. But I have the de- detail that I now have because I can switch on the, the news and, and learn so much more of these occasions and these confrontations that just mystify me because I don't right. understand why they're happening and how they're allowed to continue happening. So against that background, um, you know, I can't claim proper understanding of this because I'm a white middle-class male uh, who's had a privileged background, enjoys a privileged life now, has a privileged job. So how can I understand what black men and women children have had to go through for, for so long? But I do have friends who are black sports people people like John Barnes the former Liverpool oh, yeah, winger. Great... and I'm ashamed of myself really and I've had lengthy conversations with him in the past where he's been upset about say being at a match uh, and he's had a banana skin and justifiably incandescent about that and he's explained to me afterwards his feelings and i kind of thought i i absolutely get why you are disgusted by this and you see why you shouldn't have to run a particular gauntlet what i never really understood recently is that i didn't compute that that actually meant that those were issues that these people are facing every hour of every day of their lives so i was quite happy to accept that yeah, you go and play as a professional sportsman at one of these grounds, say in England, that was my background, and you, you face this and you shouldn't. What I never really got into my head was that also facing the same issue when they walked down the street and they saw someone choose to cross to the other side so as not to brush them. And that, right. I it just can't be right. So if sport can play a role, I, I generally think sport and politics shouldn't mix, as you suggested. Right. But I think in this case, sport can actually play a serious part in forcing change. So from that point of view. Um, I'm not surprised by what happened in the NBA and in Major League Soccer, and I think we'll see an awful lot more of it. Yeah, you know, you can't say when, you know, predominantly, one good sign that we've always talked about in this show is that
0: when someone is, uh, racial things are uh, shattered at them, like you said, like a banana skin, the whole team, not just the players of color, should boycott, should walk, should protest. Uh, and that seems to be happening now, not only uh, in sports, these teams as a whole are, are boycotting things, um, but out in the country, these protests are multiracial. Everyone is is uh, protesting it. What I what I thought is interesting because you're just getting here now. We were talking about how basically the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd incident actually went over to Europe, how uh, to the rest of the world, and influenced some of the things that happened. The EPL, for instance, were, were greatly influenced by this, and it was quite moving for us here that you realize the impact that America has, our domestic politics, it's the world over. So uh, do you think that's a, a
3: good sign? I, I do think it's a good sign. And I mean, I can't sit here as a, as a Brit in America and say, look, we've got no problems in Europe. This is all your problem, it yeah. isn't it? It's the world's problem, you know. Institutional right. racism doesn't just live in the United States of America. Sadly, it lives right across the globe and we all have to with that. And I, it's particularly um, acutely observed by the, football community in Europe because many of them are up in arms that say a player plays in the UEFA Champions League and is racially abused. In normal times when there are crowds the host club is perhaps fined $20,000 and yet that same team trots out with the wrong sponsors logo which contravenes one of the precious UEFA regulations protecting all their Champions League sponsors and they'll be fined 10 times as much. How can they be right? So I think all of us have cause to shift very uncomfortably at the moment in our seats.
1: Right, Grail? Yeah, um, we're j- jumping around a little bit here, John, but since you're a, uh, a globally focused person, I uh, hope you don't mind. Uh, you know, just last weekend we had the Champions League final and uh, Bayern continued their dominance. I'm just curious, it's a kind of a two-part question, somewhat related, uh, what you thought of their, uh, their run of form. <laughs> And then also uh, related uh, to Champions League in Europe, just the whole Messi situation mm, and where you ooh. think that may end up going.
0: There's a lot to cover there in that There's one. There's a co- lot. I think
1: <laughs> nobody could handle this better than Judah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I'll try and be succinct. Uh, point one, Bayern winning the Champions League. Uh, I was delighted because I think they are a proper in inverted commas football team. And they have constructed properly. Yes, I know they spend a lot of money but they do have a long term plan and they do regenerate. It's like the German national team, no surprise that the two of them are so inextricably, because one feeds into the other so successfully. But I, I love the way that Bayern are, on. I love the way German football's run, where the fan is a bit, you don't have these giant conglomerations and indeed nation states allowed to own clubs. Oh. And I thought it was a glorious contrast Bayern against a team owned by a nation state in Paris Saint Germain in the final. And I just find it difficult, set the way that a club like Paris uh, is allowed to elevate itself basically through money that is pumped out of the ground in the country that happens to open it's a me promoting a country rather than anything to do with fans or, or anything as right. basic as that. That is saying, uh, in terms of the Champions League question, well done Bayern, you do it the right way. In terms of Messi, that he should be saying the things that he is now and trying to engineer his way out. I think the most likely landing point is probably Manchester City because they've got the money to do it. And also, intriguingly, with the possibility that three years down the line, he might end up at New York City in MLS. I I mean, I I see a scenario at the moment where Messi comes direct to MLS because I think he's got too much still to do in Europe in his own mind. And if he could win the Ballon d'Or and if he could win the Champions League with a club other than Barcelona, wouldn't that be a a huge feather in, in his cap? And Manchester City would be the obvious place for him to go to try and do that.
0: Boy, wouldn't the Gallagher, one of the Gallagher brothers from Oasis, be happy about that move? Uh, Sam, (laughs) Sam, you have a question.
2: Yeah, John, it's great having you on the show. I I feel like in some ways I'm chatting with an old friend because your voice is so familiar. But of course, you have no idea who I am. The
3: word "old" from that (laughs) (laughs) That would be greatly appreciated.
2: Uh, Okay, done. Um, So I'm curious, for someone who's been in the game for so long, you've seen, you know, a lot change, a lot of evolution. You were in England, now you're here in the United States. Um, I'm just curious, you know, how you've had to change your commentary style through different changes, and now being in the United States, if you have a different approach for a different audience.
3: Um, I'm not sure there's a particularly different approach. I'm cognizant that American sports TV commentary is a very different beast to that in Europe because. In Europe, you tend to work on the basis that less is more and you let people make their own interpretation of what they're seeing. Whereas American TV sports commentators, by and large, and I can't make a sweeping generalisation. Right. If you listen to someone like Vin Scully, it's entirely different. Um, but by and large, they tell you what you're seeing. Uh, and that is the precise thing that you've told us, particularly as a, a young Brit coming through, trained at the BBC by the likes of John Motson and Barry Davis, two of their iconic soccer announcers in british broadcasting of the last 50 years they would hammer into me with my background in, in radio when i first moved across to tv you just need to talk an awful lot less and every time i saw them i'd sort of say well how how was that in my early commentaries and they would say, well this this and this was good but you're still talking far too much and they would say you need to talk about five to ten percent of the amount that you do on the radio so I'm probably an extreme example, because I had that hammered into me of less is more. If you were to do a word count on my broadcasts, it would probably be considerably less than many of my counterparts, even back in, in Europe. So that makes it an even bigger leap, really, from the European broadcasting scene to the US. But I did seek assurances from ESPN that they were hiring me for what I am, rather than what they wanted right. me to be. Because well, I didn't really well, want to come in my mid-50s and change the way I do everything. So. Uh, you know the joy of the job for me is in trying to find the right word at the right moment not trying to find a hundred words at a particular moment so i wanted that challenge to be the same
0: well herein lies the rub john i I think in you know american sports americans do the sports in a certain way and football basketball baseball it is running commentary so i think we've tried to do that in america with soccer only problem is it, it doesn't quite work like it does with american sports here because most of us who have watched soccer and are soccer fans, football fans, have been watching the British broadcasts. And we do love the the economy of words, this the, the how the action flows. And you don't know it unless you know it. Like what happens is you're sort of watching the game and you're enjoying it because of the way you guys do the broadcasting. Then when someone talks too long, you're like, oh, it's it's very annoying. And you don't really see that in EPL coverage. You don't see that from the English broadcaster. So I think um, two points. One, it is di- different here in the States, but we also want the real game broadcast mm-hmm. the way we're used to watching it. The second thing that I think is very interesting about what you said is uh, how things were drilled into you. One of the feelings I get with many of our broadcasters here in the States is they either didn't know the game or there's no one to to take them under their wing and tell them, you know, I remember a coach yelling at me when to make an overlapping run or not, over and over. So that, that's how you learn. So I think y- you might have to be part teacher as you come in and start uh, going up uh, and being paired with a lot of American
3: broadcasters. But, it, but it may, I mean, it's not for me to sit here and say the way that American broadcasters do it is wrong, and the way I do it is right. No, no, I don't no, know no. yeah, I'm not saying that either. It's just different. Yeah. yeah, it is absolutely, and you know, I'm operating in a different culture, so I have to be cognizant of that. Um, but at, at the same time, there's no point in me being brought in and then changing myself to be unrecognizable yeah. in my in my approach. So I absolutely get it that some many American viewers will listen to my broadcast and think, "God, that's boring," because he's not talking. But my point would be: watch the match, and I'll try and augment your understanding and enjoyment of the game rather than talking at you all the time and telling you things that you can see on the screen so if i ever hear a, any any tv commentator in any sport the geography of what's going on i'm thinking well why on earth are you in that territory interesting yeah we do not want you to change john we love what you do <laughs> grail
1: yeah well since i uh, grew up with john Motson and barry davis mm-hmm. uh i i know exactly what you're saying and the two things that drive me the most crazy about American soccer commentators is statistics, just a, just an onslaught of statistics while the action's going on, which I really don't need. And then also kind of faux excitement at times when it doesn't warrant it, which kind of shows their lack of knowledge of the game, because there are only a few points during a, a regular match where you get excited generally, and, uh, and it's driven by the action. And I just, I, I'm just curious what you think about that. It's just, Again, the Americans' obsessions with just jamming statistics down the viewers' throats instead of letting the action kind of speak for itself.
0: John, if if I can just interject, yeah. if, if Grail's not talking about Chelsea, he gets very negative. So just don't, <laughs> let, him, just don't let him get you down yeah. <laughs> or put you in a bad spot.
3: No, no. I mean, I, I have a fundamental issue with things like expected goals. And stats that have been created in the last 10 years or thereabouts just for the sake of having stats Mm -hmm. I I really don't care about expected goals I have this argument with Taylor Twelman my partner in crime on on ESPN because he's more into that sort of stuff and I respect that but Mm -hmm. it doesn't tell me anything I'd rather make judgments on a game based on what I'm seeing rather than what some statistics company that is counting the number of corner kicks goal kicks possession there's another one. Leicester oh, yeah. City won the Premier League with possession somewhere in the mid-30s percent. So <laughs> why do we care how much of the ball... Have right, it doesn't mean it's, much. Exactly. It, it's just, we're, we're being diverted away from the areas of the game. You know, football's a game of nuance. It's a game where you can see with your own eyes why one team has the upper hand. You can see the patterns emerging, particularly if it's well covered by the director and all the, the cameramen. You don't need these faux statistics. But then I watch baseball coverage here and for perfectly understandable reasons, and I enjoy watching baseball, and I see all these stats being fired at me from every angle. So no surprise that if you've got a background say in baseball coverage or basketball coverage, and you come to soccer, you're gonna apply those same things. So it's not a shock that that's the way it can be in this country. I should just say though, I do think there are an increasing number of soccer broadcasters in the United States who do get it, And I think we're at an inflection point now where soccer is becoming popular enough that good young broadcasters, rather than saying, right, I want to go and call the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or whatever it might be, are actually saying, no, I want to be a soccer commentator in years to come. So that's an important development, I think, because there's a greater pool of better broadcasters now who want to do it. And from that will come, I think, really good and maybe they're coming through all, you could argue, really American soccer announcers. Because it's fine for me to come over here and, and my ilk. Now, you know, Ian Dark's made a major impression in, in this country quite rightly as well. But ultimately, for the American game, you want American announcers 20, 30 years down the line. It needs to be part of the development of the sport here. You don't That's need great. people coming in from elsewhere.
0: That's great, John. I, I love, I love uh, that attitude. And you're also going back about, we're talking about stats. You know, in certain sports like baseball, stats seem to be very useful, Um, but it's also a slow game. So you need to be talking about stuff in between pitches. Uh, Football, if you actually record a game, there's very little action. Actually, they do the replay once or twice. They talk about it then. So different sports. And the one thing about our game is that it's constant action pretty Mm. much. And uh, it's just different and and a
3: lot of traditional American sports fans. And it doesn't doesn't lend itself to formulaic coverage. Mm Mm-hmm. It's got to be, there's got to be a spontaneity about the commentator, but also the way that it's covered by the match director. And that spontaneity doesn't necessarily apply to the other American sports because things are so structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, you had a question for John? Yeah,
2: uh, John, I'm curious as, you know, someone who's commentated on England and, you know, you mentioned Leeds, you being pleased they're back in the Premier League. I mean, how how do you separate your personal loyalties sometimes uh, from the game you're covering where, you know, you're not supposed to be biased. We, maybe when you're covering England, you are supposed to be, you know, a bit We, of we know different.
0: deep in his heart, Sam, that he's
3: a Leeds fan. Is that what you're trying to get to? Yeah, then. No, he's York City. Yeah, oh, Thank you, oh, Grail. Thank, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Thank you. So bearing in mind that I support York City, the, <laughs> the city, not of my birth, but the city where from the age of two days I grew up and where my mother still lives to this day, um, you know, it's easy because very rarely if I had to cover york city i i did actually do the bbc radio commentary when they beat manchester united in the league cup and i managed to remain i think scrupulously fair sitting alongside the wonderful jimmy armfield crammed into the main stand at york that night as alex ferguson's team that included beckham and skulls and and company were humbled by my lot from just down the street which was a, a wonderful thing to be at so that that challenge of um wildly supporting a team that you are commentating on has not been thrown in my direction very often but it doesn't really matter because we go back to that initial training and one of the great benefits of coming through the bbc system such as it was was that you were told about impartiality and you were taught that it was the bedrock of everything and you were also taught another important word i think in sports broadcasting you were taught about perspective so you there is a tendency to get wildly carried away and portray any particular moment in any particular game as the greatest thing that's ever been seen, isn't it? Wonderful. And in fact, you need to reserve that moment for, say, if you're a British broadcaster, England, Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland, however unlikely, winning the World Cup, that needs to be your 100% moment for a British audience, just as it would be for the USA, winning the World Cup. Hopefully it happens sometime further down the line. But you need to then wind back from that so maybe Manchester City winning the Premier League title with Aguero's goal in 2012 maybe that's that's 90% because it ain't the World Cup it's the Premier right. League title won in dramatic circumstances say the Premier League's won in less dramatic circumstances the winning goal is maybe at 80% of what it could be so you need to scale things like that and so that idea of impartiality and also of perspective I think they, again, were things that were drummed into me at a very early stage. So I've commentated many times on England for a British audience at the World Cup. You have to, you have to reflect both sides rather than just England. Um, so I, I, th- I would feel very uncomfortable doing a broadcast where I was just looking at it from one side's perspective. I couldn't be a broadcaster. Important roles that they have, particularly in American sports TV. It's not something we're so familiar with in Europe. I couldn't be a club broadcaster because I wouldn't be able to look at it solely from one point of view. You know, I think you're talking about perspective, impartiality,
0: in sports broadcasting. I think we should be doing that in broadcasting in general. Sounds like the BBC has a little bit more of a handle on it than we do over here. It's pretty out of control. Well, John Champion, uh, we're so happy that you've uh, come across the pond to uh, join us here in the United States and work at ESPN. Um, this uh, game's got a good future in this country, and um, a lot a lot falls on your shoulders, John, because we uh, have to develop better players, and we have to have uh, good broadcasters to give a good example. Example so the next generation can learn from from guys like yourself. And plus you have to deal with Taylor Twelman and you know center forwards have a tendency to be really cocky and they don't take direction well. So strikers are tough. So uh, we, we hope you uh, hope you do all right there. Taylor's a friend of the show as well as Adrian Healy. Um, it's a good team over there at ESPN. Uh, John Champion, we're so glad you joined us on Over the Ball. Don't be a stranger,
3: please, on the show. Always delighted to come and, and, and chat with you guys. So, so thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. Hey, remember to tweet us at
0: OverTheBall, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Wow, I like that guy, John Jambi. And I, you know, he's, he's got that great English voice, and whenever someone with an English accent like that speaks, I always sound like, I feel like a moron. I feel like a, you know, I, I well, skipped school or something too many times. Well, <laughs> well if the shoe fits, I know well, what you're saying. What? <laughs> but they always have these, um, you know, I love these expressions that, like, it, it really colors the coverage. Like, did you hear him like, he had about seven of them, but one of them was like, it was really, it was really a soulless occasion, a soulless uh, occasion, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just like there's these English turns of phrases that uh,
1: Americans just don't have. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so unabashedly biased, as you guys know, about <laughs> I mean, at least I wear it out of my sleeve just about English commentators and me wanting to hear from them just because they're really good with especially play by play. You know, as he was saying, you got to let the action speak for itself. And
0: That was and, interesting, right? Yeah. And the fact that he had mentors, they talk told less, him what to do. Talk what less. What to do.
1: We, but, but but by the way, guys, the three of us, do. we talk a lot about how much there's too much talk, right? Especially mm. from some of the color commentators we know. And, uh, and 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 it's their job to actually provide color and talk a little bit more because the play-by-play guys, the good ones, just basically, you know, it's just uh, here and there. It's kind of guiding what you're seeing. Yeah, I think we still,
2: you know, unfortunately have this chip on our shoulder as Americans about this game where we, we have to prove how much we know about it, right? So yeah. there's yeah, this yeah, yeah. sort of desire to always fill a silence with some fact or some idea that proves how smart you are. And I, I don't,
0: you know. Overcompensate, yeah.
2: overcompensate. Well, and
1: overcompensate. And, and Sam, also just the nuance, you know, if you take the other mistake has been taking people who do other sports in this country, like Gus Johnson and saying, we want you to do soccer now. Mm-hmm. And taking his excitement from college football, which is totally relevant to that broadcast, and bringing it over to soccer, where it's a total, uh, there's a disconnect, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I Screaming John- and stuff doesn't
0: work. I think John touched on a lot of things, a lot, very insightful. I mean, here we are. Yes. Stats and numbers. Uh, we, we have that in American sports. I actually think it was my point where we're saying like, we kind of like those in some American sports because there's a lot of dead space that you have to fill with knowledge in the game. it's going to be a slider and it's uh, what's the CRA, the RBIs. So, but with soccer, it is very different. And it's just not in our American DNA yet. Um, it's not grounded. And so, um, we know good coverage when we see it. We just don't always know how to produce it here, I think. And so look, that's on these broadcasting you know, companies. You see at TNT gave their shot. I'm sure they're licking their wounds and figure out what they could do differently. CBS is a perfect place NBC, the gate. NBC does a
1: great job. They do fantastic. A job with they do a
0: fantastic job. So it is getting better here, uh, much like the play in MLS. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we can be optimistic in this time when the world is absolutely on fire and burning. Uh, so, uh, what else? What else, guys? I, I, I would like to see, uh, but what also, You know, John talking about how he had mentors who, who corrected him and told him what they thought of his coverage, and I'm not always sure that. Uh here in the United States, that our guys are getting that it, it, you know like you know we're we're friends with Taylor Taylor sometimes talks over the action, and I like his stories as a player he's an american player he's a he's a, an all round athlete i mean it's sort of like um he's articulate, but sometimes you should be told not to talk right like yeah. when, you know there's a goal scoring opportunity, and he continues his story. I want to hear the end of it, but not right now Right. That's all. so um Sam. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, so I got, uh, shifting gears, I got uh, you know, my little stats corner slash quiz at the end of the show. Um, so I'm going to start, right. just want to talk right. about Alfonso Davies a little bit more and just you know how record-breaking and historic winning the Champions League was. Um, he's the first CONCACAF player to have played in MLS prior to appearing in the Champions League final and now winning that final. Uh, and he was uh, just the second CONCACAF player ever to play in any major European final um, after starting his pro career in MLS. The other one was Clint Dempsey, who played in insane. Fulham's uh, Atletico atle- uh, uh, Madrid in the U.S. I thought that was going to be the
0: question. I had the answer. I had that answer. In 2010.
2: Um, mm-hmm. So that's that. Here's the quiz question for the day, which is Alfonso Davies becomes the fourth player from the CONCACAF region to win the Champions League. Can you name the other three? And they're all relatively recent. And I guarantee you guys know the names. So Davies becomes the fourth CONCACAF player to win the Champions League. Can you name the other three? Chicharito?
0: Nope. Let me think. Oh. Recent names, too. So here's, here's
2: a major uh, – I'll give you a major hint on one. There was one playing on PSG.
0: In the final. Oh, um, way way. No, he's on the roster, right? He was no, playing. No, he didn't no. play. He's, oh, he, he played. played. Um, no, yeah, he didn't play.
1: Um, I don't know.
2: Okay, so that was Costa Rica's kaylor Navas.
1: Oh, Navas. Uh, Navas. Ah, leader, good
2: one. Who God. won the the Champions League three years in a row with Real Madrid? Yeah. uh The other two are Dwight York from Trinidad and Tobago with Real Madrid. Ninety-nine, mm-hmm. and then rafa marquez of mexico all right dude
3: you're right a, you're right i should have gotten
2: should have gotten novice
1: though i should have gotten novice that, Dwayne, that was a york, good pickup.
2: york is right in your
1: guys
0: wheelhouse right
1: yeah yeah yeah, but yeah but nov- novice though was a that was a really good pickup by them by the way
0: yeah he played yeah played pretty well that's a good question i like that one well I, we were thinking i was kind of thinking american-centric a little bit there should have broadened my horizons i thought i was going outside the box with chicharito so i was along the right lines but yeah, yeah with Dwight York boy yeah he was a player man
2: yeah
0: he was a player all right is that it today we have a very short quiz we have a long show that was a great interview with John Champion yeah. so uh um, guys what are you up to this week
1: I'll be I'll be wire the messy watch you know I'm pretty much 24-7 with his every movement no I'm kidding yeah. I'm kidding saying, uh, no, just... I'm, I'm kidding I'm kidding I mean it's it is amazing like globally this is the I mean obviously globally there's a lot of stuff about the boycotts and all that but I'm just saying sports stories the messy thing is just messy. and I
0: there was was an article that talked about him asking Neymar to join him at Man City so uh that should be fun to watch I I mean there are are restrictions on how much money they can spend so absolutely all right well that was great it was great to meet John Champion uh via uh you know Zoom and a recording session so it was uh you know I really enjoy his work so it'll be fun to listen to him and And uh, he'll bring a lot to MLS coverage. So uh, we'd like to thank John Champion here at OTB. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball.